for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also the Your Financial Editor is available as a podcast. Just go to iTunes and search Your Financial Editor. I am Chris Murray. So glad to have you along today. Hope your weekend's going well. And uh, we have a really good program uh, for you today. We've got uh, some top stories we're going to be talking about, some deals that were done. We've got some economic data that we'll be uh, sharing with you, including a gangbuster GDP number, a record setter. So uh, that's all coming up. And also joining me this morning, Miss Laura Rise. She's a uh, uh, an expert in immigration and homeland security. She uh, worked twice at the Department of Homeland Security on management and immigration policy uh, operation issues. And most recently, she was the acting deputy chief of staff. So uh, 23 years of experience. Uh, we'll really get a, 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 a inside look. Uh, she wrote a piece this week that caught my attention, and it has to do with President Trump and Joe Biden and what their immigration policies are and uh, we'll dive into that, get her insight there, and then again, how it might impact the economy and the country uh, moving forward. So that's coming up in just a little bit. Uh, stay tuned for that. I mentioned some deals. Uh, there were a couple uh, this week, and uh, they were both in the technology sector. Advanced Micro Devices is buying one of their main competitors, Zidlinks, in a $35 billion deal. So you're seeing more consolidation of the semiconductor industry. Um, AMD and uh, Xilinx said that the companies reached an all-stock deal that would significantly expand their product range and markets and deliver a financial boost immediately as soon as they close this deal. So they're apparently not going to have to wait for um, any type of uh, synergies and and to, to, to see that type of a benefit, it's going to happen immediately. So we see the semiconductor industry here in the United States going through basically a big transformation. And it's being driven both by a wave of corporate transactions and then, of course, the virus and what it's done to kind of supercharge demand for some chips that uh, these companies are making. And um, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Like I said, I think it looks pretty uh, healthy and that it's going to be beneficial to uh, shareholders and people that work for the companies, uh, except for those redundancies where, you know, some people I'm sure would be let go and have to go uh, look for uh, other positions in the uh, tech sector. But AMD, Ameri um, Advanced Micro Devices, excuse me, is enjoying a surge right now. Um, and that's because, like I said, you've seen this spike in demand for laptops and cloud computing because people are increasingly working from home and other remote uh, locations. So that's been one of the silver linings in the economy. And then just a couple days later, I saw that uh, Marvel Technology Group had agreed to buy MFI Corporation for about $10 billion in cash and stock. So that was the second mega chip deal of the week. Uh, they plan to reorganize the combined company and domicile it here in the United States, which is great. And it's going to create about a $40 billion semiconductor powerhouse. And the uh, CEO of Marvel was pretty bullish. He was saying that their uh, acquisition of uh, Enfi will fuel Marvel's leadership in the cloud and extend their 5G position over the next decade. That's the big deal now is 5G. Um, and they're expecting to create about $125 million in synergies that will be realized within a, a probably about a month and a half of uh, after they close the deal. So, um, you know, two big deals this week, other big deals uh, in the chip area this year included uh, NVIDIA. That was a $40 billion deal to buy ARM Holdings. We talked about that not too long ago here on the program. And then an almost $21 billion deal, Analog Devices, uh, is buying Maxim Integrated Products. So, like I said, a lot of consolidation going on in that area. And um, 
a lot of activity. I'm sure they're not done yet. Uh, we're probably going to see more and more of that. It's not just the uh, energy sector that we've seen consolidation, but also some others as well. Uh, some bad news for uh, Boeing employees. Uh, Boeing came out this week and said they were going to cut more jobs. They're going to review their jetliner production rates in an effort to just basically stop bleeding cash every day. Um, and, a lot, you know, they already had problems. And then the virus works its way into um, the country. And, and obviously they're an international uh, supplier. So it's it's impacting um, other countries and, and their travel. So Boeing's just really uh, been taking it on the chin the last couple of days. They have a pileup, it sounds like, of undelivered aircraft that the company said uh, they're going to have to review their commercial aircraft production levels because these airliners are either unable or unwilling to accept their newly produced jets. You know, everybody's trying to preserve cash. And you've got executives uh, saying that Boeing wouldn't likely generate cash all of next year when the plane maker expects to hand over half of their almost 450 undelivered 737 MAX jets that have been grounded over a year and a half. So um, the company expects to reduce their headcount. They're looking at layoffs. And, uh, you know, it's just really, really hard for um, for Boeing right now. And they're not alone. The collapse in the airline traffic and the reduced airline production have already cost the U.S. aviation industry around 100,000 jobs so far this year alone. And apparently there are another 220,000 that are at risk, according to the Aerospace Industries Association. So um, politicians that, you know, haven't moved on um, economic relief or stimulus, whatever you want to call it. This is perfect, targeted, and they know it. But instead of saving those jobs and helping that industry when they need it the most, they're playing politics. That's just how how vicious they've become now. And that's just the business side of it. You know, I always come back to the collateral damage of uh, this virus and um, – what it's done to people physically, mentally, emotionally, their families being broken up, marriages being broken up, um, suicides increasing, domestic violence, child abuse. I mean, it, this it takes a a special evil person to allow these things to happen when you could have had a better workaround as far as the shutdowns and still these, uh, you know, these forced restrictions. Unbelievable that people let politics uh, pollute their mind uh, that badly. And, you know, back to the virus, it's just wreaking havoc financially for various states around uh, the country. Uh, Connecticut, for example, is projecting a total revenue decline of $8.4 billion through their 2024 budget year. More than twice the rainy day fund built up after uh, and over the last three years. You know, the last three years were so good before the virus came and we were rolling along. So you, you had these uh, states that were able to, to build up their rainy day funds, but now it's not going to be enough. Um, you've got states facing their biggest cash crisis since the, uh, the Great Depression. Nationwide, the U.S. state budget shortfall from 2020 through 2022 could amount to $434 billion, according to data from Moody's Analytics. And that is assuming that no additional uh, stimulus from Washington um, is given out. It also assumes that further virus-fueled restrictions on business and travel um, – aren't put in place either. So deficits have already prompted some tax hikes and some cuts. Uh, some, you know, various people are losing their jobs, whether in the private sector or the uh, public sector. And even after rainy day funds are used, Moody Analytics projects 46 states coming up short. You've got... Um, Nevada, Louisiana, and Florida having the greatest gap as a percentage 
of their 2019 budget. So what's happening is you've got energy prices plummeting because demand's down. So that's hitting the uh, energy industries in Oklahoma and in Texas and in Alaska. Um, And then you've got tourism that's really uh, off its game. So that's impacting Hawaii and people going to uh, Vegas and Nevada and Florida. Um, You've got various other casino operations that have been uh, closed or very limited around the country. Now, it was interesting. I saw that Wyoming, even though they're dependent on energy prices, uh, they had a very large rainy day fund relative to other states, and it looks like they're going to uh, be okay. Which, by the way, the projected annual revenue shortfall as a percentage of last year's revenue looks like Maryland's okay, Virginia's okay. Um, You know, you've got... Nebraska, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, there's going to be problems, but not near nearly as bad as some of these other states. So this stupid virus um, and where it came from, you know, I was talking a couple weeks ago with uh, uh, someone specializing on the uh, the national debt here in, in the United States and how it's not sustainable. And we've got to figure out some way to punish China financially so that we get this back. We've got to find some way to claw back. I don't know if it's in trade deals, if it's in tariff deals, um, if it's in increased arms sales to their enemies. I don't know what it is, but uh, something's got to be figured out so that, um, you know, we're not left holding the bag as uh, they were impacted in a minimal way compared to us. But that's because they didn't share what was going on. So somehow, I'm sure the the right people, um, if they're there, will we'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, even though there's been months of talking about um, more economic relief because of the virus between White House officials and the Democratic leaders um, over more virus relief, a deal before, you know, the election obviously is not going to happen. So and what really got my goat this week was that you had the former Fed chair, Janet Yellen, telling the Wall Street Journal that this is not a good time to have fiscal policy switch from being accommodative to creating a drag. Well, guess what? She's a a, a very big cheerleader and entrenched Democrat. So why doesn't she call um, the Democratic leadership and say, take politics out of it? Instead of making that kind of a comment, I mean, anybody can make that comment. How about a solution? How about targeted relief? How about repurposing the hundreds of billions of dollars that hasn't even been used yet that was in other relief packages? Seem, that's, it, doesn't that sound like common sense to you? You know, if you were running a, an ice cream store, what, I mean, it's not extremely difficult. And then the Fed governor, one of the Fed governors, uh, Lyle Brainerd, again, she was going to be the Treasury or excuse me, the um, Federal Reserve chair if uh, President Trump had been hadn't been elected because Hillary Clinton was already saying there was big buzz that uh, Miss Brainerd was going to have that position. So obviously she's well connected in that area as well. What's her comment this week? Premature withdrawal of fiscal support would risk allowing recessionary dynamics to become entrenched. Same thing. Pick the phone up. Share just some common sense instead of big words. That, you know, we have this targeted relief for the individuals and the companies. I don't care if they're small business, medium-sized businesses, or big business. It's who needs it. And it's not rocket scientists or rocket science for sure. I mean, this is just it's unbelievable and so sad. Um, quick break here. Uh, just want to remind you our latest uh, complimentary takeaway is are you paying too much in retirement taxes? And uh, you go to murrayfinancialgroup.com right on the homepage. You just click get my copy. So it talks about separating your taxable and tax deferred accounts and the signs to watch for in uh, ever changing tax laws and options for tax deductions in retirement, things of that nature. It's uh, it's it's a nice read. It's not too long. You can uh, print it off if you'd like and mark it up. 
and, um, and, and become more educated. Uh, we put it on there because we really think it's helpful. That's been the feedback. So go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and uh, click get my copy. And that's a complimentary uh, copy for you that, uh, that you can download. And then when we come back, uh, we'll be talking about some of the economic data, including just a record setter for GDP. Pack bush light, six pack buzz bait, big bass hung up on a hook. Truck muddy, something funny, rolled up, bumping country music in the country, buddy. I could write the book, I got a boondock education, a dirt road shirt, rock dedication. So, yeah, when it comes to my life. There are many issues in this election, but without life, nothing else matters. Sadly, Joe Biden and David Trone want to take over America and deny the most basic right to life to unborn babies. Joe Biden and David Trone want abortion until birth, and they want you to pay for it with your tax dollars. Joe Biden should never be president, and David Trone should not be in the U.S. House. Donald Trump and Neil Parrott will fight to protect unborn babies. Donald Trump and Neil Parrott support laws to keep your tax dollars from paying for abortion. And Donald Trump and Neil Parrott support laws to protect unborn babies from painful late dismemberment abortions. Unborn babies can't vote, but you can. Be a voice for the voiceless in this election. Vote for life. Vote for Donald Trump for president and Neil Parrott for U.S. House. Paid for by Maryland Right to Life PAC at MDRTL.org. Not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Maryland Right to Life PAC is responsible for the content of this advertising. The power of local free talk radio comes alive on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, uh, you can get it as a podcast from iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search your financial editor, and uh, it'll pop up there for you. So um, a lot of good economic data this week I'm going to share with you. Um, also, just want to remind you, in a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by uh, Miss Laura Rise. Uh, she is... Um, an expert. She has over 23 years experience in the immigration and homeland security arena. Uh, she's worked at the Department of Homeland Security on management, immigration policy, and operations issues, most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff. So uh, she put out a real good piece this week about um, uh, President Trump versus Joe Biden with immigration policies. So we're going to talk to her and get her uh, insight and expertise on what those uh, policies would mean for the country and, um, you know, for the, the, the economy as far as um, workers and different opportunities job-wise, that kind of thing. So that's coming up in just a couple minutes. Um, so the economic data, I'll start with the housing pieces we got. Pending home sales um, – actually fell 2.2% in September, according to the National Association of uh, Realtors. That's the first monthly drop we've seen in four months. So um, they fell in uh, – oh, also, I mentioned this last week, sales of existing homes fell in September as well, according to the Commerce Department. So even though we saw the pending home sales index uh, decline, contract signings are still up 20.5% from a year earlier. So even though uh, it's cooled off a little bit after being super hot, uh, we see year-over-year numbers are extremely good. Kind of the same thing, sales of new U.S. single-family homes also fell in September after four straight, uh, four straight monthly increases. So, um, you know, you still have this confidence among home builders. It's, it's hit a record this, uh, this month. And um, sales of previously owned homes jumped to their highest level in more than 14 years. Um, so it's, you know, it's I, things have been going so well 
that it wasn't a big surprise to see that, like for this case, the new home sales actually fell 3.5% uh, last month. And um, when you look at this, same thing, new home sales year over year up 32.1%. So extremely uh, strong there when you look year over year. Also this week, we got really good news when the initial jobless claims report came out as it always does on Thursday morning at 830. So we learned that the number of Americans filing initial claims for unemployment insurance fell last week to the lowest level we've seen since the virus made its way into the country. So that suggests that layoffs are easing. They fell by 40,000 from the previous week, the lowest level of claims since mid-March, just before the virus shut down, you know, businesses and activity across the country. Um, And even more importantly, when I was looking at the continuing jobless claims, they fell by 709,000. That's a really good improvement. That was very, very, uh, you know, welcome news to uh, to see that. And then when you look at um, some of the regional surveys, been paying more attention than than uh, normal to these regional surveys to see uh, how different pockets around the country are actually doing. And this week we got a few of them. Uh, one from uh, the Chicago Fed, their National Activity Index. Um, which is a three-month moving average, and it still shows growth. It was uh, plus 0.51 in September. Uh, 50 of the 85 individual indicators made positive contributions to that report from the Chicago Fed. Then we uh, skip over to the great state of Texas. We saw factory activity expanded in October for the fifth month in a row according to business executives that were responding to uh, the Texas Manufacturing Outlook Survey from the Dallas Fed. Uh, The production index, which is a key measure of state manufacturing conditions, um, actually rose three points to 25.5, indicating an acceleration in output growth. Um, Other measures of manufacturing activity in uh, Texas pointed to stronger growth for October. So, you know, that was really, really uh, good to see that. And um, the last one is actually for our district, the fifth district uh, that covers, uh, you know, pretty much where a lot of our listeners are. Uh, Manufacturing activity across the central Atlantic region strengthened in October, posted its highest reading on record. That's amazing to be able to say that just seven months after the virus came and and decimated uh, the country. That's amazing. You know, so this is the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. Uh, The 5th District Survey of Manufacturing Activities Composite Index came in at 29 in October, up from 21 in September. Uh, The indicator beat forecast from economists polled by the Wall Street Journal. I mean, just wiped it up. The Wall Street Journal economist said it was going to be a reading of 16 came in in a reading of 29. And then the uh, just the grand slam of the week was knowing that the U.S. economy grew at a record-shattering pace in the third quarter because businesses reopened. And you know how I feel about the whole when somebody says essential versus non-essential? The only thing you learn there is, you know, a lot of times when the government has a shutdown and you learn about it. But I'll tell you what, anybody that wants to get up and work and support themselves and their family, ties to their church or charity donations, do all the good things that were told they weren't essential was baloney, total baloney. So what we saw was gross domestic product, the broadest measure of goods and services produced across the economy, surged 33.1% on an annualized basis July through September. The next best number, you go back to 1950, 16.7%. That's the most recent thing, even close to what we uh, did last quarter. So economists were expecting 31%. We see 33.1%. Phenomenal. You know, so, you know, just 
if you've heard the V-shaped recovery, okay, so V, we saw it go down, and then we saw uh, businesses reopen, economic relief, and you're seeing it, according to this report, go right back up. Our free uh, uh, complimentary takeaway for you on the website, are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and uh, just click on the uh, instant download and um, you can print it off if you'd like and make notes. And, you know, we want it to be helpful. That's why it's on there for you. And then when we come back, my guest, Ms. Laura Rise, uh, 23 years experience in immigration and homeland security arena. And uh, most recently, she uh, was the acting deputy chief of staff. So we're going to hear about um, how the two candidates, what their immigration policies look like and how they differ. One church town There's a gold dirt road To a whole lot of nothing Got a deed to the land But it ain't my ground This is God's country We pray for rain And thank Him when it's falling Cause it brings the grain And the little bit of money We put it back in the plate I guess that's why they call it God's Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, WFMD.com. And uh, the uh, Your Financial Editor program is available as a podcast on iTunes. So help yourself to that if you'd like. Uh, welcome. I'm glad to have uh, all of our listeners with us today. If you're brand new, great to have you. If you've been with us for a little while, great to have you. And uh, if you've been with me since the uh, beginning, coming up on 23 years, middle of November, uh, cold evening back in 1997, thanks so much for your loyalty. I know we have a lot of uh, uh, listeners um, that have moved out of the area uh, and um, still listen, whether it's um, on the uh, on the Internet through WFMD.com or, as I mentioned, as a podcast. So just appreciate it. You guys make the program successful and have helped us achieve what we have over the years. Uh, really looking forward to our discussion this morning. My guest, Ms. Laura Reese, uh, she is a um, an expert, really, in the area of immigration and homeland security. She has over 23 years' experience. Uh, she's twice worked at the Department of Homeland Security on management and immigration policy and operations issues, most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff. And she's also a senior research fellow on homeland security at the um, Heritage Foundation. So looking forward to uh, speaking with Laura. And she wrote a great piece this week. And we'll tell you how to get that in just a little bit. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Sure. Good to have you on. I appreciate you taking some time to uh, to join us. So did I leave anything out about your background, by the way? <laughs> no, that was good. Thank you. Okay, sure. So uh, if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to start uh, by giving our listeners an idea of what the uh, morale and professionalism is at the uh, Customs and Border Patrol. Well, they are... Uh, encouraged uh, to do their jobs under this administration. Um, if you take the wall, for example, uh, Border Patrol has long asked for uh, wall systems, and in addition to technology and personnel, and uh, President Trump listened to them and has, has provided that. They've just celebrated uh, 400 miles of, of new wall system, and it looks like the administration is set to hit its target of 450 uh, new miles of wall system by the end of the year. So they are able to do their job uh, to fully enforce the law. And um, this, this president supports them. And um, so their, their morale is good. Uh, they face strong headwinds, to be sure, from the left, uh, from the media. Yeah, unfortunately, Twitter just uh, shut down the acting commissioner's um, Twitter account for um, stating facts about the wall, um, but they continue their important work every day, uh, 
uh, protecting Americans and, and securing the border. And like you said, you used the word encouraged to do their job. I mean, I would assume that their morale is high because they have that support behind them. That's right, yeah. So um, you mentioned uh, the border wall. Um, so for those like myself, I, I've not had the opportunity to uh, to go and visit the border and see um, often what people are talking about. Besides the border wall, what other type of technology um, are we employing to keep our borders safe? So there's a number of things. There's um, It includes an access road so that uh, Border Patrol can um, drive or ride along the wall. Uh, it includes lights. It includes sensors so that they can detect movement, uh, cameras to determine, you know, is, is the movement people or is it animals so they know whether to respond and, and where to respond. Um, so it's, it's a series of tools, and, and Border Patrol always says they, they need three things to secure the border. They need personnel, they need technology, and they need infrastructure. So um, I guess they also have, uh, uh, um, they use some aircraft and maybe some drones as well? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Um, so can you give us an idea of, uh, because of this uh, support and encouragement that uh, they've re, uh, received, how much have things improved year over year since uh, the new administration has been in place? Well, if you look at the number of apprehensions, it has been a bit of a roller coaster. When uh, President Trump first came into office, the number of apprehensions dropped. People called it the Trump effect. Um, but over time, uh, illegal immigrants and, and supporters, organizations, uh, realized that they could um, still test the system and uh, crash the border. And so you saw a number of caravans forming in Central America and, and heading north. Um, the administration then, um, because Congress was unwilling to uh, negotiate with uh, President Trump or cooperate and unable to pass a bill in Congress to close the loopholes that uh, incentivize illegal immigrants to come up to the U.S., um, the administration identified a section of the law that's never been used before. Um, it became known as the Remain in Mexico policy. And basically it says you can apply for asylum, but you're going to wait in Mexico for your court date. We're not going to release you into the interior of the U.S. when you often never show up then for your immigration court hearing. Um, it was very effective. In combination with that, uh, the administration made a number of agreements with the Mexican government and with the Central American government to take more responsibility for the migration through their countries, um, to receive asylum applicants back into their countries. Um, and it ha was very successful. The numbers of apprehensions decreased dramatically. Um, now, with COVID hitting and uh, economy is suffering around the world, uh, there are new push factors forming that will cause people to try and come north again. So the numbers are starting to pick up a bit, um, but we still have uh, a closed border other than essential travel with both uh, Mexico and Canada. So people who don't meet uh, essential travel um, requirements are, are turned back. Okay, very good. Uh, speaking this morning with my guest, Ms. Laura Reese, uh, she is a senior research fellow on Homeland Security uh, Center for Technology Policy, and uh, that's at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, also worked twice at the Department of Homeland Security on management and immigration policy and operations issues. Most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff, uh, she got her Bachelor of Arts in International Economics and Cultural Affairs, um, and she got uh, her also her law degree. And I saw here, I was reading further down on your bio, uh, Laura, that you studied Mexican history and culture as a visiting undergraduate in, uh, in Mexico. How much has that helped you be able to do your job, um, you know, even more than someone who maybe didn't have that exposure to the culture? Well, it's been quite helpful. I studied two different times uh, and lived in Mexico, once in undergrad and, and once again during law school. Um, and it's actually a family trip. My first family trip down to Mexico uh, was what got me interested in immigration in the first place and, and driving near the border and 
and um, driving through kind of no man's land between uh, U.S. And, and Tijuana. And I just found it fascinating. So, um, but it has certainly helped me understand um, the issues um, and, and the number of push factors, why people um, migrate north, either lawfully or unlawfully. So for the lawfully, I assume it's for um, opportunity and I guess some also may be looking for um, an easy way also because of certain social programs that we have? Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, both lawfully and unlawfully, unfortunately. Um, economics are the largest driver, um, but there are other um, reasons, whether it's uh, to join family, um, better health care, uh, education, yeah, a number of factors. And then, of course, we always hear about this, at least people that uh, care to listen, the uh, the danger involved because of the, uh, the the drug cartels and the violence and, you know, the um, the opportunities for them to uh, try to get people legally across the border. And they really don't care if it works out or not, because the from what I understand, the person would just have to pay them again to try to be successful the next time or the time after that. Yeah, the the smuggling organizations and the cartels are ruthless. And um, right now the Border Patrol is finding and, and um, Customs and Border Protection are finding dozens of people packed into tractor um, trailers without any regard for the COVID pandemic or their um, health or safety. Um, so they always change their tactics. And um, that is a sign, actually, that the wall is working. Um, but it, it's also worth pointing out, the last week during the presidential debate, when uh, Joe Biden said, we owe uh, the illegal immigrants who are here in the U.S. amnesty, we owe them, he said. That is the next advertisement for these smuggling organizations and drug cartels. And it is so reckless and so dangerous. And uh, what a president owes is protection and safety and securing the border for American citizens. Yeah, first and foremost. No, I'm with you 100% on that. That's a head-scratcher when people... Uh tend to, you know, push back on border security, no matter if it's the, you know, the Canadian border or the Mexican border or whatever, um, the the safety of the American people is paramount. So we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue my conversation with Miss uh, Laura Reese. And she um, wrote a real good piece uh, this week for the Daily Signal. It's a great read. And um, I'll tell you how to get it. But um, in the interim, before you get it and read it, we're going to be talking about some of the highlights and uh, more about her expertise in the area. Third shot, damn, I'm in trouble. I'm a newly single man, seeing double. Fake a smile for all my friends, then go home alone around 2 a.m. Then stumble through the front door, gone as it gets. Flip the kitchen light on, there it is on the fridge. Just my luck, read this if you're drunk. Don't think about it, mister. Don't even touch your phone. There are many issues in this election, but without life, nothing else matters. Sadly, Joe Biden and Jamie Raskin want to take over America and deny the most basic right to life to unborn babies. Joe Biden and Jamie Raskin want abortion until birth, and they want you to pay for it with your tax dollars. Joe Biden should never be president, and Jamie Raskin should not be in the U.S. House. Donald Trump and Gregory Call will fight to protect unborn babies. Donald Trump and Gregory Call support laws to keep your tax dollars from paying for abortion. And Donald Trump and Gregory Call support laws to protect unborn babies from painful late dismemberment abortions. Unborn babies can't vote, but you can. Be a voice for the voiceless in this election. Vote for life. Vote for Donald Trump for president and Gregory Cole for the U.S. House. Paid for by Maryland Right to Life PAC at mdrtl.org. Not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Maryland Right to Life PAC is responsible for the content of this advertising. The news at the top and bottom of every hour. And free talk in between. News Radio 930 WFMD. Uh, 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 uh. 
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, WFMD WFMD.com. And you can listen to the program uh, as a podcast on iTunes. So help yourself. And um, we're continuing our conversation this morning with my guest, Miss Laura Reese. She is um, she has 23 years experience in the immigration and homeland security arena. Uh, twice worked at the Department of Homeland Security, her latest stint as the acting deputy chief of staff. Uh, she has her uh, her B.A. She's got her law degree, just a lot of experience. And she's helping us today to understand uh, immigration, the current state, if you will, uh, for America. And she wrote a really good piece uh, titled President Trump and Joe Biden Comparing Immigration Policies. So if this is something that you're not sure that you're uh, as well-versed in and educated as you'd like to be before voting in particular, uh, go to heritage.org and just uh, type in uh, President Trump and Joe Biden comparing immigration policies, and uh, Laura's piece will come up, and I think it'll help you. Um, It's an easy read, but yet it's also very thorough, which uh, makes it a double win for you. So um, uh, help yourself to that. So, uh, Laura, we've touched on different parts between President Trump and Joe Biden, but just give us an overview of how different their policies really are. Uh, Yeah, the differences are are stark. Thanks for pointing out the piece. Um, President Trump's approach has been to enforce the law, but also to return immigration programs and benefits to their original intent to get rid of the fraud that has crept in over the years um, and to bring integrity back to our our legal immigration system and to fight illegal immigration. In contrast to that, uh, if Joe Biden were to become president, he would largely return our immigration policies to what they were during the Obama administration, which is very lax immigration enforcement. Um, and very large numbers of people coming in, either under the auspices of asylees, um, very high refugee numbers, and, um, of course, reinstating DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, um, and uh, also pursue amnesty for all of the uh, illegal aliens who are here in the U.S., which numbers anywhere from 11 million, although I believe that's a very old number, up to at least 20 million people. Well, and, you know, we, talk, uh, we talked a little bit. I asked you about um, the Customs and Border Patrol, um, you know, that organization and those professionals. But, you know, the other part of, these, of this is the, those that you mentioned are here illegally. A lot of them um, are, are bad actors and uh, they're dangerous to the communities that they hide in. They're dangerous to law enforcement, first responders, um, you know, ICE trying to do their job and they can't get any cooperation. Do you see that getting any better um, as we progress? Well, um, if you're talking about sanctuary policies, and this is where state and local jurisdictions refuse to cooperate with ICE by notifying them that someone is a criminal alien is about to be released onto the street. Um, there is quite a contrast between President Trump and uh, Joe Biden. Uh, President Trump has sought to withhold federal funds for such jurisdictions. Um, A lot of these jurisdictions have grown very accustomed to getting federal grant money. Um, And yet, when they do that, they have responsibilities to provide information to the federal government, including criminal alien information. Uh, But like I said, these jurisdictions are kind of thumbing their nose at, at ICE and the federal government when it comes to not just illegal aliens, but dangerous um, criminal aliens. And so, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, as you were pointing that out, that sometimes results in bodily harm or death for uh, the honest citizen. Yes. Um, Instead of allowing ICE to come into a local jail to remove a single criminal alien, it forces ICE to go into neighborhoods to go pick that person up, which is very dangerous to the ICE agents, but it's also dangerous to um, the residents of that community. Um, it also reveals other uh, removable aliens. Uh, so it is in the interest of both the community for their safety um, to have ICE go into the jails to remove these people rather than to go into the community. 
Yeah. Um, if you look at Joe Biden's campaign website, there is no mention of, of sanctuary. Um, he supports these sanctuary policies. And when you look at his language on the website regarding ICE and uh, CBP, it shows a real distrust for those agents. Um, it talks about their inhumane treatment, how they need more training. Um, it is quite a parallel to the uh, war on police that we're seeing in cities all over the country right now. Um, and it would undermine the morale of, of ICE and CBP. I think you'd see a lot more resignations and retirements, just like you are seeing with, with across police departments. And that makes Americans unsafe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, one of the other things that people don't hear a lot about, but uh, probably wonder about occasionally is we need immigration reform, but why is nothing being done um, by the elected officials to, to make that happen? Yeah, they uh, Congress has not been able to pass major immigration legislation for decades. I mean, 1996 was the, was the last major law passed. Um, and they are unwilling to pass kind of single-issue immigration laws. Um, they, the, any bill immediately becomes a bit of a Christmas tree where people attach their ornaments onto it, and then it just dies under its own weight because there, you can't get enough votes to agree on all of it. Um, if you t- for example, if you talk about um, mandating e-verify, which is the ver- employment verification system, um, you'll have members on the left who refuse to vote for that unless an, a large amnesty package is, is also uh, included. And so given that uh, dichotomy or that conflict, um, Congress is unable to get a bill all the way through. That is so um, disappointing. It, it's kind of like what we're seeing right now with uh, the uh, additional uh, economic relief where we've got leftover monies that could be repurposed. And instead of this grandiose other huge, um, you know, spending package that would come out and not streamline and address the airlines and other areas that we know really are in dire straits because of uh, of the virus. So uh, that's just another thing that's frustrating when you uh, tie it to, um, you know, immigration and, and trying to reform it and getting getting it up to date and up to speed. How helpful um, it seems like the the Mexican government has been pretty helpful the last couple years. And I would assume that's because President Trump, uh, you know, was pressuring them to do some of their own policing on their southern and northern borders. Yeah, the Mexican government has been very helpful. In fact, the Mexican government has been more helpful than our own U.S. Congress. And that is because President Trump has um, used some tactics with with Mexican government, frankly, that's long overdue um, for decades. Mexico would just allow Central Americans to travel through their country knowing they weren't going to stay there. They were headed to the U.S. um, and just kind of turn a blind eye to it. Now the uh, Mexican government has placed um, officers at their southern border to prevent such uh, migration and has agreed to house um, many of these migrants in the uh, Remain in Mexico program while they await their asylum hearing here in the U.S. So it's been remarkable. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And I I appreciate you pointing that out and giving insight there, too, because I I agree. I think they deserve uh, the credit. It's just it's a sad thing to hear that they've been more helpful than our own um, our own elected officials in in certain situations. Uh, Miss Laura Reese, uh, she's a senior research fellow, uh, fellow, excuse me, in Homeland Security at the Center for Technology Policy. Uh, She has over 23 years of experience in the immigration and homeland security arena. She worked at Department of Homeland Security uh, two different times. Her latest uh, was as the acting deputy chief of staff. Uh, She's got a great piece out uh, titled President Trump and Joe Biden comparing immigration policies. Go to heritage.org and uh, just type that in the search and uh, it'll come up. And, and and I think you'll you'll really enjoy it again. It's President Trump and Joe Biden comparing immigration policies, and uh, you'll learn a lot, which is what this program is all about. Laura, thank you so much for uh, taking time uh, to join us and 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 share your expertise and your insight. I really appreciate it. 
I, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. And uh, we'll circle back around with Laura uh, at a later date and uh, see, you know, if she has other pieces and what type of progress, uh, additional progress, I should say, that we've made uh, with immigration, especially on the southern border, but also up north. And, you know, we could uh, I kind of ran out of time. We talk about the importance of it because of, um, you know, anybody that's anti uh, opioid fentanyl any kind of drug, you know, if you're anti-drug, which most people are, um, you, ha- you have to think, oh, you can't just be sorry that, oh, yeah, this person's in the paper, they overdosed and died. You, you'd ha- you have to go further than that. And you have to say, how did that stuff get into the country? Now, I believe that the uh, Customs and Border Patrol agents and the other uh, professional law enforcement officers are doing the best job they can to keep that garbage out. But the better we are at the border and with immigration, the safer we're going to be in so many different areas, including uh, drugs. So, again, I would just uh, encourage you to check out Laura's piece, uh, heritage.org, and um, you can follow her other writings if you'd like as well. That does it for us. Uh, We're out of time. So um, I will talk with you on the Morning News Express, 550, 650, 750, every weekday morning. Those are live calls where we uh, talk about what's going on in the world of business and finance. And then uh, we'll circle back around and uh, talk with you uh, next Saturday here for the Your financial editor uh, program. So have a a great rest of the weekend. And um, again, the latest report we have for you that's complimentary, are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? Uh, Just go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, click the instant download button. It's on the homepage and you'll have it. And I hope you find it helpful. That's what it's for. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Cards on the table, only way I play it. I got some draw in my yard, they can't imitate it. I'm tough and rowdy, reckless, rough around the edges. But ever since you came around, I've been thinking thoughts that I need to get out. So I, I grabbed a pen and a, a napkin, and I wrote this down. Yeah, my tractor's green, my pasture's greener, my tea's sweet, but on your sweeter and my road is dirt, your heart is gold, I'm a man of few words. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930, WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.